are going to be in Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. And while you're getting there, um, I just wanted to also let you know it's on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Uh, we've been going through a series on the gospel. We've been talking about the good news of Jesus and how the good news of Jesus is greater than our emotions and how the good news of Jesus is greater than our performance and how the good news of Jesus is greater than our shame. That's, that's been the last three weeks that we've talked about. We, we've spent a ton of time kind of talking about the benefits of the gospel, what what. God has offered to us in Jesus what that means for us and, and just how good the good news really is. And so uh, week one, uh, Tom came and, and he talked about the gospel and our emotions and he talked about how the gospel is actually greater than how we feel, that our relationship with the Lord, if we are secure in Jesus, our relationship with the Lord does not change just because we don't feel good today. And that even if we don't feel good or maybe even if we blow it, and we don't feel good because we, we blew it, that, that the, in Christ there is grace and there is mercy, but not just that, that, that Jesus actually helps us grow, he helps us respond, and he helps us not live life based on our emotions, being centered on our emotions, being guided by our emotions, being directed by our emotions, but instead that we're, we're guided, directed, and led by the Spirit of God through the good news of Jesus. And then the, the, the next week we, we talked about our performance and how there's, there's nothing that you and I can do to make God love us more. That, that in Christ we have been secured, that God actually loves us completely. There's no, nothing we can do to earn his favor, right? And you remember we kind of had this video up on the screen of spinning plates and how it's exhausting trying to follow Jesus and try to maintain all of these different activities and things. Like I have to have perfect Bible reading, perfect church attendance, perfect prayer life, perfect Perfect relationships with friends who are Christians. Perfect relationships with friends who aren't Christians. And I got to spin all these plates perfectly and make sure that none of them falls. If one of them falls, God loves me less. And, and that's, that's legalism. That's basing our love for God on our performance. And that's, that's just not what Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that we're, we're free in Christ to obey the commands of Scripture. And that the commands of Scripture are a guide and they help point us in the direction that we go. But, but our, God's love for us is not based on our obedience. God's love for us is based on Christ's obedience, and Christ was perfectly obedient. It's because of Christ's perfect obedience that we can now stand in the presence of God as his children if we are saved. And then last week, we talked about the gospel and our shame. And um, that, that week, personally, it was just, it was, it was really impactful on my own heart, um, to be honest, I can kind of prone to be, I can kind of prone to be a person who lives in uh, self-condemnation and shame, right? And so we talked about, you know, when we talked about our performance, we talked about that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us more. And last week we talked about there's nothing that we can do if we're in Christ to make God love us less. And I said that there, there's, there's no day if you're a believer, if you are truly God's, if you have been saved and you have the spirit of Christ living in you and God has changed the position of your heart from being hostile to him to now a, a child of his, that um, there's nothing that you could do to make God think it was a mistake to save you. God did not make a mistake when he called you out of darkness into the, into the light. God did not make a mistake when he chose you from the foundations 
of the earth, before he even laid a pillar of the planet, before he even formed a plant or spoke light into existence. He called you out of darkness and into the light. He knew you intimately before the world even existed, and he did not make a mistake in saving you. And yet, at the same time, we talked about last week that if you're not in Christ, the full weight of the shame of your sin is still on your shoulders, that Christ has not bore that for you. He doesn't bore that for everyone. He's only bore that for those who embrace and put their faith and trust in him as their Lord and Savior. And so if, if, if you have not done that, like, let's talk. I want to I talk through that with you. I want to talk through, like, 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 why are you not following Jesus? Why do you not want to follow Jesus? Not, not as your enemy, but as your friend, as your, as your brother, as, as somebody who loves you and cares about you deeply, because I want you to experience the amazing realities of, of the good news of Jesus. And yet, we, we've talked a lot about the benefits of the gospel, and yet we, we haven't really spent any time unpacking what, like, what's our part in this. And um, there's this really, really fascinating uh, chain of events that happens in Matthew 16. I don't know if you've, you've ever tried to do this before. I would really encourage you to try to read through an entire book of the Bible, um, in fact, I would encourage you to read through an entire gospel, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and, and I, I'm going to encourage you to read Mark. Mark is the shortest of them all. It's really fast-paced, but it's, it's really, really cool because a lot of what happens in Mark is you don't get a lot of what Jesus says. You actually get a lot more of what he does, and so in Mark, you're looking at like the actions of Jesus, like what he's doing, how he's interacting with people, and it's really fun to like read a gospel and see how the stories kind of fit together. Like, why did the author put this after this and, and this after this? Because when, when you read the gospel story, um, or when you read a, a gospel narrative, a gospel story, the author actually doesn't put the events in chronological order, okay? So this, this might be different for you. You might have not known this. Sometimes it happens, right? So like what we're going to see is like one fluid event that happens in in different kind of snippets. But sometimes uh, every author is communicating with an intention and a purpose, right? So Matthew in his gospel, he's writing to a bunch of Jewish people. And so he's trying to point to Jesus as the better Moses. He's trying to point to Jesus as the better David. He's trying to point to Jesus as the new temple. What he's doing is since he's writing to a bunch of Jews, he's reaching into Jewish history to show how Jesus is the fulfillment of all of what Jewish history is pointing toward. And so Matthew has actually structured his gospel to communicate that message. That's why when you open Matthew's gospel, if you read the first three chapters of Matthew's gospel, you're going to see something over and over again. You're going to see Matthew say, and this happened because it fulfilled blank. And then he quotes a passage in the Old Testament to show something that happened in the Old Testament that Jesus is a type of fulfillment of, that Jesus fulfilled and secured because Jesus is the promised Messiah that the Jews hoped in. So, so Matthew had a message he was trying to communicate. He structured the story and his account of Jesus' life that way. And we see in Matthew 16 something really, really interesting happen. Some of you might have heard this story before. This is before verse 24 a little bit. But in verse 13 of Matthew 16, it says that Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Who do people say that I am? Jesus is like, hey, what's the word on the street about me? He's asking his disciples, like, what do people think about me? And so the disciples say, they say, um, well, some say John the Baptist. Like, some people actually thought that Jesus was John the Baptist, like, reincarnated. It's kind of weird, but people thought that he was John the Baptist. Others thought that he was Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or, or one of the prophets. They, they thought that Jesus was a prophet. 
Uh, this is kind of like public opinion of what Jesus is. And then in verse 15, he, Jesus kind of turns the question on the disciples. He says, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Now this is the most important question you and I will ever answer in our entire life. Who do you say that Jesus is? Not with your mouth. Right? I think a lot of times with our mouth, we could say, oh yeah, he's, he's Lord, he's Savior. But, but in our heart, he's just maybe like this, this guy that we give attention to sometimes. He's, he's actually not master, which is what Lord means. Lord means master over my life. Think of a slave and their master. That's the image that Lord is trying to bring up in the reader. Who do you say I am? Jesus asks the disciples. And Peter, Simon Peter, in, in verse 16 says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now that's a really, really important detail of the story. He says, you're the Messiah, which means this, you're the king of Israel. Of our people, you're the king, you're the guy, you're who we've been waiting for, you're who all of these kings and all of these prophecies in the Old Testament were pointing toward. You're the fulfillment of our story. You're the Messiah. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Why? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Simon's eyes, Peter's eyes were open to see who Jesus truly was. He said who Jesus truly was, and Jesus told him he was right. And then the next section, so you, you skip down to verse 21, and it, Matthew kind of gives this very summary statement of something that Jesus begins to do. It says, from then on, so as a result of, of, of Peter saying, you're the guy, you're the Messiah, from then on, Jesus began to point out to his disciples that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Right? This is the crucifixion story. Jesus begins to tell the disciples that he's, he's on his way to Jerusalem, he's going to get killed. And the interesting thing about, like Matthew puts this summary right after this, right after Peter confessing Jesus as a Messiah for a reason, and here's why. Peter was Jewish. You see, the Jewish people actually read in, into the prophecies of the Old Testament regarding the future king of Israel, that the future king of Israel, the Messiah, was going to come and he was going to liberate them from Roman oppression. So, so think about this. Think of if um, a, a foreign country invaded the United States and, and they set up governors in all 50 states. And so it wasn't a United States official that we all answered to. It was this, this foreign country. And they gave us unfair taxes. They made us do things differently than we were supposed to do. They made us have different schedules. They just kind of started to oppress us in, in different ways. Well, this is what the Roman people did to the Jewish people in the first century. They were under Roman occupation. The Roman authorities were, were, were there, and they had, they had kind of made a hostile takeover of Jerusalem. And so what was going on here is the Jewish people actually thought the Messiah was going to come as a military and political ruler, and he was going to overthrow the Roman government with violence and, and war. And that's what people thought the Messiah was going to do. And they got that from, from Psalms, like Psalm 2, that, that spoke of Messiah as this king and this ruler. Um, but they missed other Psalms, like Isaiah, or other prophecies like Isaiah 53 that talked about the suffering servant. The Messiah would also be a suffering servant, not just a king and a ruler. And so Jesus begins to tell them that after they find out he's Messiah, he says, okay, I'm going to go die. Now for Peter, Peter thought, this guy's going to like take over the world. 
he's going to make the Jewish people take over Rome, and the Jewish people are going to rule the earth with the Messiah kind of leading the charge in that. But here the Messiah is telling them he's going to go die. And so what does Peter do? Peter responds to this by saying, oh no, Lord, this will never happen. Peter actually rebuked Jesus. Like, you can't rebuke Jesus. He's Jesus. <laughs> like, he knows everything. And yet Peter has the, like, audacity to try to rebuke and correct Jesus. Like, no, 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 Jesus, you're wrong. This isn't going to happen. There's, there's no way that this could happen, Jesus, that you could go and die because you're supposed to, to, to conquer Rome as, as, as the king. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's kind of an insult. It's an interesting response of Jesus. He says, get behind me, Satan. This is verse 23. You are a hindrance. Now, if you're an underlined person, I want you to underline this. This is what Jesus has a problem with, Peter, when he said this. You're a hindrance. Well, why? What's the problem? You're not thinking about God's concerns, but you're thinking about humans, human concerns. You're not thinking about God's concerns. You're thinking about human concerns. Can you relate? Can you relate? Are you sometimes worried about your own personal human concerns and not God's agenda? Do you have your own agenda, your own thing that you want to happen, your own vision for how you want something to happen that you haven't even considered God's agenda, God's plan, God's way, God's rule? I know I have. And so Peter's got a vision for the Messiah. He's got a vision for what the Messiah is supposed to do. And Jesus is like, no. I've come to die, I've come to suffer, and I've come to serve. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And then verse 24. Verse 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so Jesus is going to take this and he's going to use it and leverage it as a teachable moment. He's going to teach his disciples something about following him. Then Jesus said to his disciples, so think about this. You're not thinking about human con God's concerns. You're thinking about human concerns. So how's Jesus going to take that problem and resolve it? Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. For what will it benefit someone if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? Or what will anyone give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each according to what he's done. Peter thinks the Messiah is going to come and conquer with military strength and power. Jesus says, well, you're concerned about human things, not the things of God. Well, how do we put ourselves in the position as followers of Jesus to be concerned with the things of God? And Jesus says, in order for us to do that, we must come and die. We must deny ourselves. Now, now here's the thing, and, and, and this is the aspect of following Jesus that I, think, I, I don't think a lot of people like to talk about. Because what this does, what verse 24 does, is it puts following Jesus into perspective. You see, on night one, of this series, we talked about how the good news of Jesus is not, we're not an emotionally centered people, right? 
the pursuit of life is not the pursuit of feeling good all the time. The good life is not to actually feel good all the time. And we see Jesus correct that here by saying the good life isn't actually feeling good all the time. The good life is actually embracing the suffering that we are called to have as people following Jesus. That there's actually suffering and difficulty and hardship as people who follow God that we are supposed to embrace, not run away from, but embrace. There's a a great difficulty when it comes to being a Christian in our culture, right? Many of us are afraid to actually live out our faith the way we know we can because we're afraid of somebody else's opinion. Well, this verse pushes back against that temptation for us to hide because it says, if any, Jesus is saying this, the king of the universe is saying this, if anyone wants to follow me, anyone, anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. How do you deny yourself? Well, I think, I think the first thing you do is you, you look to Jesus and you imitate him. You turn away from your love of the world. You turn away from your desires. You put yourself literally to death every day, killing your sin, your desires, what you want, the things that you want to do that, that pull you away from the Lord. And we deny ourselves every day by saying no to the things that we want to do in the flesh, in our sin, so that we can say yes to the things that God has called us to do. So, But we look to Jesus and imitate him. We, we look to him to give us power and strength to do this. The only way that a human being can actually deny themselves and follow Jesus is by being transformed by Jesus himself personally. And so before we even try to do any of this stuff, we we have to think about, like, am I right with the Lord? Am I actually in a place where Christ has transformed my heart, where he's changed me from the inside, where I'm a a different person because the Spirit of God lives in me? Is that true? Or am I just pretending? It's true evidence that the Spirit is residing in someone when they are living a life of selfless service to those around them, when they're denying themselves regularly and seeking to follow Jesus, when they're spending their lives for the good of others and reminding themselves that Christ is totally worth it. He's worth it. In the short term, Christ is calling us to to bear our cross, to embrace difficulty and suffering that that, that comes in this life when, when following Jesus. But in the long term, He's promised us a crown of life. And so we say yes to a cross and difficulty in the short term, but when we do that, we're saying yes to an eternity where we wear the crown of victory as the people of God ruling and reigning with Christ for all time. As I was reading this and just kind of sitting in this, and I'll probably sit on this over and over again because there, if this reality of, of self-denial is speaking into my life in so many ways where, where I'm just not denying myself. When you say yes to Jesus, I want, I want, I want you to hear this. When you say yes to Jesus, You lay down your dreams, 
your desires, your hopes, your wants, everything. And you, and you put it at his feet and you say, God, do whatever you want with this. Because my life is no longer my own. My life is yours. Take it. Make your agenda my agenda. Make what you want what I want. This is what it means to be a believer who is denying themselves every day. We, we are so consumed. We go to school and we have our agenda and we, we, we want to do this and we're going to do this and I want to play this sport and I want to do this thing and I want to get involved with this activity and I want to hang out with this friend group and I want to do this. But maybe Christ is calling you to do something totally different than the rest of your friends. And it starts with self-denial. Maybe God is calling some of you like to the mission field, like to leave the country and go plant churches in another country on the other side of the earth. That starts with, that call starts with self-denial. Maybe there's a, there's a, a pastor in here. Maybe God is calling somebody in here to, to be a mom and have kids and to raise those kids up in Jesus in such a way where they have such an affection for the Lord and serve well in the local church. Maybe God is calling you to, to stand up for the right thing at school. But that starts with self-denial and dependence on the king. Maybe there's a toxic relationship in your life that the Lord is calling you to leave behind. That starts with self-denial and allegiance to the king. Maybe God is calling you to do something just absolutely crazy. That you never, no, no, there's no way you're going to do that. You know what that is for me? Staying in Illinois. We were going to move. And yet the, the reality that God was actually calling us to stay in Illinois I had to deny myself to receive that. I had to set down my agenda, my wants, my hopes, my dreams, deny myself and follow my king to whatever it was that he was calling me to do. Not because of what he was calling me to do, but because who told me to do it? Because he said it. And so because he said it, I'm going to say yes. The, the cost of following Christ is great. But I, I want you to hear this from a 25-year-old who has lost a lot because of my relationship with Christ. I've lost friends. I've lost close relationships with family members. I've lost opportunities to be around people that I wanted to be around. It's worth it. It's worth it. It is totally worth it. Every moment of temporary pain and suffering in this life can't even compare with the eternal weight of glory that's promised to the people of God who endure to the end. And so I want to encourage you. I know 
that this good news is hard to keep in view all the time. I know that. I know that following Jesus in Eureka and, and, and is hard. I know that following Jesus in central Illinois is hard. I know that following Jesus at your old school, at your new school, around your old friends, with your new friends, I know it's hard. But it is totally worth it. It's totally worth it. And so don't run away from the difficulty of following Christ. Embrace the difficulty of following Christ. Because as we embrace the difficulty of following Christ, our love for Christ grows. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, your word. Thank you for just the, the real reminder of the cost of following Christ, that, that following Jesus is hard, that you call us toward self-denial. But God, help us to remember that your love for us, that your spirit helps us. God, you call us and you equip us and you send us. You give us everything that we need to deny ourselves, to lay down our lives for the sake of you and for the sake of those around us. And so God, help us to be a people. I want these students to be people who serve, who love you and who serve no matter where they are. I want to be a man who serves, who loves you and serves wherever I am. And so God, we, we need you desperately. We cry out to you this evening Help us. In Jesus' name, amen.